The process of landing investment banking job offers can often feel like a black box, which leads to confusion and anxiety for most of the candidates going through it. Hey, my name is Sam Shaw, and I'm the founder of Wall Street Mastermind. I've personally coached numerous students on how to successfully break into top-tier investment banks, including Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, Centerview, Evercore, and PJT Partners, just to name a few. On this podcast, I'm going to help you demystify the investment banking recruiting process by sharing what the clients of Wall Street Mastermind have done to get results like these. Enjoy this episode. You talked about McGraw-Hill transitioning from more becoming like more of a recurring SaaS model, right? Mm -hmm. So how does that work? Like, are they now charging schools uh, like a monthly subscription to use their textbooks and then instead of like charging them a one-time fee or like walk me through that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So instead of like selling the textbooks upfront, getting like, um, like an upfront cost there, instead having like annual contracts with the schools. So providing them a service and not just along with the textbook, not just like the textbook itself, but like associated like homework, quiz, digital learning stuff alongside that. So I think with that whole package, like the annual revenue they get um, and the recurring nature of it is definitely more than like what they got initially for like just selling the textbooks. And there's also more operating leverage because the variable cost of like expanding is very low. Mm -hmm. And it's low because? Oh, because like, you already have everything on like the digital web. So adding one more school is just like allowing them to access the information. Whereas traditionally, like you have to print out a whole new textbook, which means like more variable costs. Okay. So if you're looking at a company like McGraw-Hill now, like, mm-hmm. like as a private equity investor or even just any investor, you're trying to determine if this is a good company or not. Like what are the main things that you would be looking at? Like looking at a good investment? Mm-hmm, for sure. But like think- if you're looking at like any type of, tech company or even like this ed tech company that has a recurring revenue model versus uh-huh. like what they used to be, which is more like one time. Uh, it's almost like on-prem versus SaaS, let's say, right? Like Microsoft used to just sell you Windows uh-huh. and charge you like one time versus now they're doing Windows 360 or Windows 365 or whatever, charging you a recurring fee. Like, okay, so from McGraw-Hill though, like how do I know if this is a good investment or not? Like what what are the main things that I would be looking at to make that determination? Like what are the, like if these are like the three, three most important things, let's say, like what would they be? Mm-hmm. For sure. I think um, from a PE investor's perspective, uh, one of the most important things is the TAM of the market and how much market share we're going to get in that just to kind of see like uh, how much potential growth we could have. And a second really important thing is the rule of 40. So for a lot of software or like tech companies, we want to look at like uh, kind of like a balance between its growth and profitability. So EBITDA margin and the annual growth like added up should be more than 40 uh, to ha- make sure that it's like a good company in terms of its financials. And I think the third thing that's really important is like the deal itself, how long multiple you're paying. And 9x on EBITDA is definitely like a pretty, I think it's a pretty low um, multiple in the tech space, especially considering its business model and thinking about uh, the potential multiple that you could sell off like later at. Okay. What if you're not just a PE investor? What about just from like, just like a generally, like a any general investor point of view? Any general investor? Mm-hmm. Like, is, I, this a, is this a good business? Like, what, what like, what if you could only look at, because like, what, what the answers you gave, like, yeah, okay, those are all things that we will look at, sure. But, there's like something else that I'm looking for. Like, again, the key is you're looking at a subscription business, right? Mm-hmm. So what are the most important things to look for in a subscription type business? Because quite frankly, like a lot of tech companies are moving to this model, like you said, okay. mm-hmm. right? So what what are like the most important KPIs, let's say, that you, that, that you would care about? Mm-hmm. 
yeah, I think uh, thinking in terms of this sense, uh, the LTV over CAC is a really important ratio to kind of look at uh, just the economics itself of this company. Is it sustainable moving forward in terms of acquiring more customers? And then also looking at the net churn rate. So how many new customers are we getting versus how many are we losing? And if we're McCraw Hill specifically, maybe it's better to look at it from an annual standpoint, since like all uh, the school year is very cyclical uh, versus like it's not like a monthly thing. So looking at it on an annual basis. And then I think the third thing that's really important, again, is like the role of 40, just kind of striking that balance between growth and profitability. Okay. Um, how do you like, so let's say if I look at this company and I said, LTV to CAC is too low, mm -hmm. right? Like what are, what are some things that I could potentially do if I come in as a sponsor and I buy this business? Like what are some things I could potentially do to fix that issue? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we could think about it in two ways. One on the top line, uh, denominator, one on uh, one on the numerator, one on the denominator. And then looking at the numerator for the LTV, uh, I think a really important thing is like lengthening the time span of a customer. So making sure there's lower churn, also trying to uh, elongate the lifetime. So if it's like a B2C company in the ed tech space, not just looking at like high school and college, but uh, expanding it earlier into like the K to 12 space, but also um, having the service cover like a later area into like professional workforce training. So people use it for like 15, 20 years. And then on the customer acquisition cost side, uh, thinking about are, are we efficiently allocating our costs and like getting those new customers? How can we better like acquire customers at a cheaper cost? And is every like division of it like profitable and uh, relative to how much we're like spending on getting new customers? Okay. So, um, that all makes sense. Is it possible for this business to grow without adding any new customers? Like if let's say like, you know, somehow they are now in all the schools already, uh -huh. right? And they have a, like every school is signed up, so they're not going to sign any more new schools. Like, does that mean that they're then tapped out and they can't grow anymore? Or can they still continue to grow? And if so, like how? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think two main growth drivers, like thinking about the top line, one is like elongating the lifetime value so that um, even though, even if schools, like we maxed out the number of schools, the schools would use it forever. So just making sure the contracts we look at are like longer term schools have less train rate. And that's through building like a really good customer support system, constantly changing our courses and stuff based on their feedback. And the other part of it is having more pricing power. So if we already got to most of the schools, uh, there's a great network effect, everyone's using it. Uh, and also like there's a high switching cost to choose like a different provider. We could then start to like hike our costs, uh, hike our like uh, the rate we're charging the schools uh, to grow the top line without having to grow the volume. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Um, the answer I was kind of looking for is more um, just talking about the concept of, uh, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, net churn, right? So like, even if you don't add any new logos or new customer account, if your existing client base is buying more, uh -huh. even like either they're upgrading because they're buying more seats or like you said, you're raising the price, you know, um, or something you're not raising the price, but they're moving into a higher, more expensive tier. Or more expensive package as long as that uplift is more than offsetting the revenue lost from people who churn or downgrade then mm -hmm. you're still growing right like that's the beauty of a recurring model mm -hmm. is that you don't necessarily have to acquire new clients to uh, be able to grow right so um so i think like long story short like because you're interviewing for tech banking like a lot of times people ask oh like are there any uh technology specific technicals that we need to study historically i would say no um, because it's not like fig or it's not like real estate. It's not like oil and gas or some of these other industries where they have like their own set of technical questions. Like, you know, technology, the technology industry, they use like all the standard valuation methods, um, mm -hmm. trading contracts, transaction comps, DCS, right. But now as like the SaaS slash kind of like recurring revenue business model becomes more and more prevalent. Um, it's, it's, I think like you, you are starting to see, especially with like elite boutiques or like firms like catalyst, which I think you said you're still trying to go for like mm -hmm. firms like that, that are very tech focused, like 
they now do expect you to know, I guess I call it like SaaS finance, right? So for SaaS finance, like, yeah, like the, the, the gold, like I was trying to steer you towards the LTV to CAC mm-hmm. um, metric, because that is like the gold, that is like the, 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 the one main KPI uh-huh. that really matters for subscription businesses. Right. So you eventually got there. Uh-huh. Um, but usually like, that would be the first thing that I'd be looking at for any business recurring model. Uh-huh. How much does it cost to acquire a customer? And how much is each customer, how much is each customer worth? Right. Um, and then I didn't ask you this, but I assume you already know the answer. Just like, you know, what do you want the LTV to CAC to be at a minimum, which mm-hmm. answer is three. Right. Um, and then like knowing the drivers to affect LTV and CAC. So for LTV, I would have said, I mean, some of the things that you said, but I, I would have been like, um, yeah, obviously like the price that you charge, um, uh-huh. the, the, your gross margins, which like technically the technical definition of LTV shouldn't just be revenue. It should be, you should be using gross margin, right? It's like the cumul it's subtracting out the variable cost uh-huh. of delivering that revenue. Right. So it's like, what's your gross profit? per year and then like how many years can you keep the customer which is inversely correlated with churn rate so like churn like reducing churn rate like you said raising prices or reducing cost of goods sold like th- those are the LTV inputs and then CAC is obviously like you said you know sales marketing expenses um and just kind of how, how to allocate allocate that more efficiently right or increasing your close rate that helps with CAC too right mm-hmm. um training your salespeople to close better right mm-hmm. um things like that right and obviously also knowing that I think like calling out that like hey these two things are sometimes um they have dependencies on each other, right? Like I can't just say, oh, I'm just going to raise the price and that's going to increase LTV, but also raising the price is probably going to increase your churn rate, which might actually lower than, which, which might actually end up lowering your LTV, right? Or like raising the price might increase the CAC because now it's harder to sell the product because it's more expensive. So it's more nuanced than that, right? So being able to call out that you understand the interplay between all these variables, I think that um, is important as well, right? So I think like, and for everyone else that's kind of watching this, like if you're like, what the heck are these guys talking about? And am I supposed to know this? And why is this nowhere in the technical modules and whatever, like, relax um, because you're not going to need to know any of this stuff unless you are uh, specifically interviewing for technology investment banking. Um, and also quite frankly, like even I would say both back and middle market uh, tech groups probably wouldn't get this technical on you, but since we're prepping more right now for the catalyst and Lazars of the world, I could see them going there. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is definitely like way more advanced stuff. So if you, if you have no idea what we're talking about, or you're wondering if you need to know this, like chances are more, more than likely, more likely than not, you probably don't. But um. But if you are planning on interviewing for these like top end tech shops, you know, or even like, you know, Goldman TMT or MS tech, like I know they, they can get pretty technical too. So um, then, then I would say, yeah, like you, you have to study some of this stuff. And if that's you, like we have um, resources that we can share with you uh, that walks through kind of all this stuff so that you guys can learn it. It's not hard. Um. Thanks for listening to this episode. Interested in discovering how you can get personalized one-on-one coaching from Wall Street Mastermind to help you beat out the massive amount of competition out there? Head on over to www.wallstreetmastermind.com slash apply. And the street is abbreviated to ST, so it's really wallstmastermind.com slash apply. And our team looks forward to speaking with you.